It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash NFL, and when you enter promo code LOCKDOWNNFL, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Well, folks, it feels like it's been forever since we've done Herd Mentality, and I'm very thankful that we get a chance to get caught up today on it and I'm not fully caught up. There's still a lot of you that I need to get back in touch with, but um, the bills have been busy, right? There's been a lot of news, a lot more news than you would expect for early June in an NFL calendar. So our programming has been disrupted, but that's okay, right? We want to talk about the most relevant things with the team. And so we've had to prioritize other conversations this week and, you know, we get to herd mentality at the end of the week. So let's get to it. First one is a fun question here from Bub. Bub says, what would your favorite two or three formations look like on offense and defense with the personnel the Bills currently have? And this got my head spinning. And so I want to share my favorite personnel grouping on offense and my favorite personnel grouping on defense. And I really want to focus on offense because there's an angle here that I think is really good um, that has been provoked in my mind based on this question. And so for the offense, for my eligibles, and so you have five offensive linemen and a quarterback, so you have five eligibles on a given play. And those for me in my favorite iteration would be Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, Gabriel Davis, and James Cook. And with that personnel on the field, I feel like I can really dictate terms. No matter what you put out there, you're going to be wrong. And where I get really excited is with James Cook. I think James Cook can unlock so much of this Bills offense. I think Dalton Kincaid can as well. But James Cook is the X factor here. And let me tell you why. You put that personnel on the field. Again, Diggs Davis, Knox Kincaid Cook. And you can go to the line of scrimmage with a run look. And if you like the look that you get, run the ball. But you can also motion James Cook out of the backfield and put him in the slot. And all of a sudden, you are in a beautiful situation to just go out if you're Josh Allen and pick your best matchup. There will be a mismatch. If your eligibles are Diggs, Davis, Kincaid, Cook, and Davis, there's going to be a matchup problem for the defense. And so you go up to the line of scrimmage, you got a run call, 
You like the look, run the ball. You don't like it, motion James Cook out, go empty, create mismatches everywhere. Because between Cook, Kincaid, and Knox, you're going to get a linebacker on one of them, if not two of them. And that's not going to be a good matchup, matchup for that linebacker. And so that's what I really like. I think the whole conversation we've had about Dalton Kincaid is really, really good, about 12 personnel, what he can mean from the slot, all of that's awesome. But when you layer that with James Cook and that versatility to run the football and play receiver, that's where you can really put defenses in conflict. And so, yeah, it, it is about Dalton Kincaid, but it's also about James Cook as that X factor. Defensively, my favorite idea for the defense is my, I guess, my NASCAR package, my pass rush situation, long and late downs. My edge players are Von Miller and Leonard Floyd. And then I have Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver rushing from interior gaps. And you are going to be in good shape with that. I mean, you've got really dynamic athletes, a lot of length, a lot of twitch and quickness, guys that can bend and win off the edge. And I just love the idea of getting Greg Rousseau more involved as an interior pass rusher. That's one of the big objectives that I would have. If I'm Sean McDermott, I'm taking over this defense. Greg Rousseau rushing the B-gap is going to be a big thing. going to be a very big thing, especially when you have a healthy Von Miller to go with Leonard Floyd. Rousseau's going to rush interior gaps all the time. Him and Ed Oliver, that could be a real problem for defenses. And so that's, or excuse me, for offenses. So that's the personnel group that I get excited about defensively uh, when it comes to that that front line. I mean, your, your back seven a lot of times is going to be static. I know you can get creative with what you can do with Taylor Rapp, but it's the combinations up front that really intrigue me. Next one here comes from Adam. Adam says, I read a lot of the Bills should sign DeAndre Hopkins just to keep him away from Kansas City type tweets, and I was wondering how you feel about that, particularly signing a player just to keep making a rival team from signing said player. So I want to answer this through the lens of what you're saying, okay, that idea that you should sign a player just to keep him away from another team, but also want to take this opportunity to talk about DeAndre Hopkins because I do think the ship has sailed. I mean, teams are not lining up to sign DeAndre Hopkins. He's going to take his first visit, and that's to Tennessee. Obviously, Mike Vrabel, their head coach, has time with him from their mutual time together in Houston. And he'd help Tennessee. They need help at receiver. They need a veteran receiver. Houston has some interest. Maybe Cleveland has some interest. But teams are not lining up. And what I mean by that is the Chiefs and the Bills, right? They're not all in on going after DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I think Green Bay should be hot on the trail. I think Cleveland should be hot on the trail. You should, but to your point about, or your question about whether or not I would sign a player just to keep him off of another team, I think the Bills in any team that operates intelligently should sign players because it's the right player for your team. Not to play defense. If that player can help your team in a way that's meaningful, that would make sense for the contract you'd have to give them. That should be the criteria for deciding if you're going to sign a player or not. And I think through this process, again, bringing it back to DeAndre Hopkins, the Bills and Chiefs are more than willing to let this play out. They already have. They didn't trade for him. He's been released. He's a free agent. He could sign anywhere. And you let DeAndre Hopkins take this time right now. 
to see what's out there, and then he can decide. He can decide if he wants to go get the most money and play for a team that's not going anywhere or if he wants to take less money and take the deal that Kansas City or Buffalo can offer him and have a chance to win. We're going to find out what Hopkins' priorities are. But I would only sign players if I thought it was the right player for my team, not to keep him off of another team. Steve says, I'm writing this on Monday morning with your Ed Oliver episode paused midstream. You had just mentioned how many double teams Ed faces. It would appear the Bills have always had real confidence in Ed, but maybe more help was needed on the D-line. Well, we signed Puna Ford recently, and now Leonard Floyd for the edge. The talks with Floyd had obviously been ongoing prior to the signing of Ed Oliver. This leads me to believe the Bills felt Ed would shine if he got help, and the new additions that form that help are here. Am I reaching on this? I really don't believe Oliver's extension is only about the fact that the Bills had no interior defensive line signed past the 2023 season. It feels more like the Bills, especially with McDermott running the D, are betting on Oliver not seeing as much focus from opposing coordinators, which might result in a version of Ed we've yet to see. P.S. I really like the sound of two number nine overall picks on the D line. I think this is a really good thought, Steve. And I think my favorite thing that you said in there was the Bills didn't give Ed Oliver a four-year, was it $68, $65 million extension for the sole reason that no defensive tackles are signed beyond this year. They did this with Ed Oliver because obviously they believe in Ed Oliver. But I do like your point. Ed Oliver has been doubled a lot, and it's something that you see when you watch the tape, but there's also data that tells you he's doubled a lot. And I think you can go back to last year and realize that Daquan Jones was a beneficiary of Ed Oliver taking on double teams. Daquan Jones has always been a really good nose tackle in the NFL, but he might have had his best season last year. Well, why? Perhaps it's because Ed Oliver was commanding a lot of attention. And to me, this is also why I'm very excited about the idea of Greg Rousseau rushing interior gaps more often because as a pass rusher, I think Greg Rousseau can really take advantage. You can't, if you're going to put Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver on the interior, go go ahead and double them both, see what happens. You're going to have some free runners. You're going to have really good matchups on the edge. And so, yes, Ed Oliver and the, the attention he commands can benefit other players, but also, to your point, bringing in a Leonard Floyd makes that even more difficult for opposing offenses to really get choosy with who they're going to try to take away because the Bills should have a lot of options. And so I really like that angle. I appreciate you bringing that up. All right, we got a bunch more to get to here, but first I need to tell you about Bird Dogs. Folks, I absolutely love this brand. Their shorts, their joggers are fantastic. They're uh, good-looking clothes. They make you look good. They have these khaki shorts that are designed uh, to fit slimmer through the thigh and through the leg, giving you that sculpted look. It's that stretch khaki material. Uh, they fit a lot better than regular shorts that are you know, st- typically stiff. They're restricting with the cotton fabrics that they use. Bird Dogs fix the issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. They're great to wear with polos. They're great to wear with uh, short sleeve T-shirts. I mean, they're just a good-looking pair of shorts, and they're really, really comfortable. And they have this uh, anti-stink sweat-wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So check them out. Go to Bird Dogs. 
yeti.com slash locked on NFL and enter our promo code locked on NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. The next one today comes from JM. JM says, I wanted to ask you about the Leonard Floyd signing. I'm curious why they signed him to just a one-year deal. Why would a guy like Floyd, who's been a top 10 producer of sacks over the last three seasons and is a proven commodity, need to sign a prove-it deal? Are there any benefits I'm missing to the one-year deal as opposed to locking him up at a reasonable price for the next two or three seasons? It's a good question. Um, Leonard Floyd's a player that, going back a few months ago on the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast, we were talking about the best remaining free agents, and he's a guy that I talked about. And I have been surprised that there didn't appear to be a little bit more there for Leonard Floyd in terms of a multi-year deal with a sizable commitment. But I would say most likely, this is the type of deal that Leonard Floyd wanted to sign, right? He only probably wanted a one-year deal. He made it clear in his press conference that he wants to win. That's his top priority. He left money on the table. And so it's it's great to want to go out and get a bunch of money and, and have multiple years of stability. Um, but if you want to play for a contender like the Bills, there's only so much they can offer you. And I think Brandon Bean has kind of hinted at that in his press conferences and saying, look, they can take the deal that we can offer or or not, right? And so I think this is more about Leonard Floyd being amenable to what the Bills can offer and pay him and obviously comparing that to what other opportunities exist out there and say, you know what, give me that one-year deal from Buffalo for seven mil that could be worth up to nine, and that's probably going to be my best chance. And then you, you know, you go to the Bills, you get playoff checks, got a chance at a Super Bowl. Um, there's a lot that that goes into it, right? And he sounds like he'll be really happy in Buffalo getting to play with Von Miller and some of his other teammates that he used to have with the Rams. And so, um, you know, maybe Leonard Floyd was looking for that type of deal, but it wasn't from the type of team that he wanted to play for. And he had to kind of go with what the Bills could offer him. And, you know, maybe the Bills didn't want to get overly committed there either. So um, I would guess that it's a combination of a number of things. Um, but the fact that he was a June signing is a pretty good indicator of him being really choosy and having different priorities. And this is the type of deal that he was comfortable with and the Bills were comfortable with. Charlie says, I've seen and heard a lot of talk about Dalton Kincaid and how he needs to have a certain amount of snaps or targets in year one. While I understand where those sentiments come from, I think it's a bit too much to expect in year one. Yes, he's a first-round pick. Yes, they gave up the same assets to acquire Kincaid as they did for Stefan Diggs, but let's remember Kincaid is a rookie and Diggs was already an established star in the league when he was acquired. While I hope Kincaid becomes a 100-target guy at some point during this five-year contract, I think it's a bit of a stretch to expect that all in, in his rookie season. I do too, Charlie, and I think I've been one of the champions of the idea that Dalton Kincaid needs to be the Bills' number two option in the passing game, and that would be about a 100-target-a-year guy. Through that, my communication has never been that it's a year one thing. I'm not that unreasonable. My commentary has always been, okay, it needs to start to happen in year one where there's a ramp up and kind of as the season moves along, he gains more and more market share and kind of is trending towards being a high volume piece of the offense. But that was that hundred target threshold is not what I'm looking for in year one. That's more of a year two and beyond expectation. And so I don't want to wait forever. And I don't like the, 
the part of your question where you say at some point during this five-year contract, you know, I, I want to see that happening towards the end of this season and, and especially in 2024. But yeah, if your expectation right now is for Dalton Kincaid to step into this offense and get 100 targets, I think you have a very unreasonable expectation for any rookie player out there. Dan says, how the heck did Roger Saffold make the Pro Bowl last year? I mean, that's a good question. I know he was an alternate, but still, wasn't his performance in 2022 widely regarded as subpar? Was it just because he's a vet and they were looking at career stats as opposed to yearly? Do you have any insight, legit or not, as to how the voting process works? Yes, I do. Well, you acknowledge there that Roger Saffold made the Pro Bowl, but he was an alternate. In fact, he was a second alternate. So how does Pro Bowl voting work? Well, for the actual Pro Bowl roster, it's one-third fan vote, it's one-third player vote, and it's one-third coaches vote. But as far as alternates, the league is not very transparent on how alternates are chosen, and there's a lot of rumblings from credible sources that say that alternates are chosen exclusively through the player vote. And so with that in mind, it becomes a popularity contest and and players are probably going to vote for their friends or teammates more than they would, um, you know, guys that are actually deserving. And so I think that's probably what happened there with Roger Saffold. I know he was terrible last year, but uh, I spent some time around the bills uh, and had a chance to talk to Roger Saffold. The guys love him, right? And um, his performance was not good enough, but I think he's well liked by the bills and he's got friends on the Titans. He's got friends on the Rams. He's a, Respected guy across the league, and so he probably got a little love, or maybe not a little love, a lot of love because of that. Justin says, I know I've preached pass rush has failed us every year in the playoffs, which it has, but I think the elephant in the room is what can the offense do when opposing teams take away digs? They need to evolve in this area, and drafting Kincaid, finding better wide receiver three options is a start, but let's figure out a run game with running backs in January and February. Do this, and we get over the hurdle. Your thoughts and thank you. Well, I'd agree with with that to an extent. I don't think it's any one thing that why the Bills have had disappointing playoff losses. Um, I think it's a number of things. Defensively, they've had major letdowns in those elimination games. At times, it's been not having another option in in the in the offense. There's been times where maybe it has been the run game and not enough consistency with with what they can do offensively. Um, you know, it's. I don't think it's any one thing. It's a combination of things, and, and some of it's just uh, misfortune, right? 13 seconds, you, you, you just goofed. I don't know. You go back to 2020, the AFC Championship game, I don't think the Bills were as good as Kansas City. You know, They were going to need to have a rare-type outing to win in that game, and Diggs and Beasley were battling injuries in that game, if you guys recall. 2021, 13 seconds. I don't know that the run game would be any different there. And certainly Gabriel Davis more than took advantage of the Chiefs taking away digs. In 2022 playoff loss to the Bengals, I mean, maybe it's the run game, but there's a lot more than just the run game that contributed to those losses. I I don't think it's any one thing, but they're all valid uh, things to bring up as we've seen a bunch of frustrating playoff losses now over the last four seasons, really dating back to Houston, where you blew a, what was it, 18 to nothing halftime lead. So hopefully the fortunes uh, flip around for us in 2023. All right, folks, we got a bunch more to get to after a quick break. Stick with me. I'll be right back. All right, we got some more to get to, but first I would like to invite you and tell you about 
the Locked On Bills subtext community, something new that we're offering over the last month or so. And um, it's been really fun to this point. Uh, there's a link if you're interested in it uh, to join in the show notes for today. So if you're on YouTube or wherever you listen to this podcast, you can see a link in today's show notes. Here's what you get. You get one-on-one text conversations with me. That's easily my favorite part, going back and forth, uh, being able to answer your questions, get to know you guys better. Um, that's awesome. I really enjoyed that and appreciated that opportunity. You get priority when it comes to herd mentality. Literally all the questions today uh, that you're listening came from subtext subscribers. We have some exclusive things, uh, regular mass texts, which break down some thoughts that I might have or my first reaction to all Bill's news, and that's been happening a lot. So when they signed Leonard Floyd or Cameron Dantzler or, or extended Ed Oliver, my first take went to the subtext subscribers. So check it out. Um, again, a, a link to join in the show notes for today. And again, nothing changes with the normal delivery of this podcast, just an extra layer of engagement for anybody who might want it. All right. The next one today comes from Drew. Drew has a good question. He says, it's great to hear about all these additions. It seems like the bills are continuing their streak of building a team stronger than the year before. Is this common? Is football a zero sum game where every off season, half the teams think they got better and half think they got worse or are most fan bases optimistic like we are that their team gets better every single year? I would say that it's not common for a roster to objectively improve year over year like the Bills have. I think you go back to kind of that 2018. The 2018 roster was worse than the 2017 roster, and that was by design. But if you go 18 to 19, 19 to 20, 20 to 20, 21, 21 to 22, 22 to 23, it's been better every single year. And so, no, that's not true for most teams. The Bills are spending big. Bean is squeezing every ounce of cap space and opportunity that he can into this roster. If you don't think Brandon Bean's all in, well, then you're not paying attention. And I'll tell you what, uh, Bruce Nolan on his uh, episode on Thursday, part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed, the Bruce exclusive co- podcast, he did a really good job of making sure that you knew that Brandon Bean's all in. He is. And that comes with or without DeAndre Hopkins. Bills are absolutely trying to squeeze every ounce of talent that they can into this depth chart. One of the things that I'm doing on my other podcast, Lockdown NFL Scouting, my co-host Kyle Krabs and I, we are going through every single team. We're doing roster reviews. And, you know, we're categorizing every single player. We're watching tape. We're getting familiar with the league and making sure that we have the right expectations going into the season. And one of the fundamental things that we're doing in the process of evaluating every roster is we're asking ourselves the question, are they better? Is this team right now better from a roster perspective than they were coming out of 2022? And the answer is not always yes. It's not. And every team is at different points in their life cycle, and they make different decisions for different reasons. But they're not always better year over year when it comes to talent on the roster. And so, yes, I would say what the Bills are doing is uncommon. I'll also give you a little tease. Next week, on Lockdown NFL Scouting, Monday is the Bengals, Tuesday is the Bills, Wednesday is the Chiefs. And so you're going to have a great opportunity to get a very in-depth discussion from Kyle and I on all three rosters. So check that out um, and go back. I mean, we've been covering all the teams, the Dolphins. We recently did the Browns, the Chargers. we got some other big AFC uh, teams coming up, the Ravens. 
you know, Jaguars has already been done. So, so check that out. Um, really good way to familiarize yourself with the league. And one of the things that we're kind of trying to communicate through this roster review series is while every day we're not going to talk about your team, it's a national podcast, right? So I think you kind of have that expectation, but by listening to all of these episodes, you become really in tune with the reality of the rest of the league. And that's going to make you a better fan. It's going to allow you to appreciate and understand the issues that your team has by understanding the rest of the league. You'll be a better fan. You'll be a more informed fan. And so I'd invite you guys to check out what we've been doing. Uh, we're a couple of weeks into it. And we got a couple more weeks and you know, it's getting to the point where at the end of this, we're going to be able to rank all the position groups. We're going to be able to rank all the rosters and, um, it's been a great project, so check that out. Next one here comes from Derek. Derek says, considering that Brandon Bean currently has his deepest offseason roster ever, combined with the fact that he likes to flip players for picks before roster cutdowns, do you see Bean being able to trade away some of our excess talent and would-be cuts this offseason? If so, what players are candidates and what do you think the return will be for them? I have this fantasy dream scenario where we stockpile picks and it gets so big of a pile that we're able to go get Marvin Harrison Jr., the wide receiver from Ohio State in the draft next season. Crazy, I know, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Fun question, Derek. Uh yeah, I think you I mean in your question you basically gave the answer. This is the deepest offseason roster the Bills have ever had. Brandon Bean likes to flip players for picks before roster cutdowns. Yes, I do think that he's going to have ample opportunity to do those types of trades. Um, I think the tradable assets will really depend on camp battles and we, there's going to be a ton of camp battles this year, but I look at position groups like offensive tackle, interior offensive line, edge corner, maybe safety, maybe receiver. And you could see a lot of potential for movement. Now we're not talking about big returns. We're talking mid to late day three picks. We're talking Cody Ford type deals, the stuff he's been doing. And so I, I would just keep that in mind. We're probably talking about a bunch of day three extra picks that's going to give the Bills some ammunition to probably move up in earlier rounds and maybe do some in-season trading if they need to. As for the Marvin Harrison comment, I've scouted Marvin Harrison Jr. this summer. He's unbelievable. An absolutely unbelievable talent. I think he's a top three type player. And as fun as that would be for him to be a bill, that's going to be tough for a number of reasons. Obviously, you're going to have to trade way, way, way up. But you also have to find a partner that's picking really, really high that wants to move back, but wants to move back really, really far. You know, typically teams, when they're picking three, four, five, they only want to move back to like nine or 10. They don't want to move back to like 32 or 31, or 30, or 29. So you're going to have to really, really give up some stuff to get up there. You're, I mean, if you're, if the bill, let's just say the Bills are picking 30 next year. To get to like three, you're probably going to have to give up like three first-round picks for that and, and more. And so you have to ask yourself some hard questions, but Marvin Harrison is absolutely a special, special football player. Last one today comes from Sean. Sean says, for her mentality, do you think Brandon Bean made more of an investment in starter-capable running backs due to the 17th game 
and an increase on wear and tear. Perhaps some teams will carry more running backs now because of the exponential increase in wear and tear over the years. Sean, I think that's very logical, very possible. Um, there is a lot of veteran depth, starter caliber depth on the Bills roster and James Cook, but then also Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, Naheem Hines. Um, it's a pretty deep backfield. And I think the 17th game and you know wanting to make sure that your horses are ready to go for the playoffs matters, and that's probably a big motivating, motivating factor as to why uh, Bean has – loaded up on these players, but also probably learning a lesson. Um, you know, they rolled with this combination of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss for a number of years. And I think Devin Singletary panned out pretty nicely, but not really Zach Moss. Maybe he'll be a good player for the Colts, but I think he's learned something from, all right, well, can we just have a couple of rookies on rookie deal or a couple of young players on rookie deals and that be our backfield? I like the ideology, but I think you need a little bit more there in terms of veteran presence. and. He's certainly done that now with James Cook as your, you know, young player on a rookie deal, but he's surrounded by very established players in Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, and Naheem Hines. So I think it's a combination of kind of learning from the construction of previous running back rooms, but also, yeah, hey, look, a lot of football to be played, a lot of wear and tear on running backs. Let's load up and make sure that we have a full stable of horses. All right, folks, that's it for today here on the podcast. Um it's been a great week. It's been a really busy week. Next week's going to be fun. There's a um, mandatory mini camp, so we should get a lot of information coming out of one Bills drive. Obviously, hope to hear from Stefan Diggs. That'll more than likely happen next week, as well as other prominent players. We get good practice reports. So, a lot to get to next week on the podcast. Don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. Look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.